Welcome to the Two Grumpy Bastards Podcast, where feelings aren't felt and snowflakes melt. Buckle up, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. These confines with a monarch's voice cry havoc! Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! They painted over ants. an extended clip from one of the all-time greats the band journey that was just a uh, sample of course not the whole song <laughs> you lawyers out there that are listening to the podcast uh, i felt like i had to play a little bit of journey as the intro this week since i spent a good amount of time defending journey as one of the great rock bands in history on the endless ranters podcast that we were on last week uh, great podcast great folks to give them yet another little uh, pitch and yes, that was my phone going off. That makes it even more authentic. And yes, that is the Battlestar Galactica theme. That's my ringtone. Yes, it is. Hey, uh, let's get to it. Hey, Russ, how you doing? Doing good. A uh, quick note on this. Uh, I think I shared this on the on the Endless Riders podcast, but my oldest was helping my youngest study uh, for her vocabulary. And I'm in there uh, doing something in the kitchen. And when my oldest says, define journey. I chimed in with one of the greatest bands of all time. Both of them looked at me like I had antlers growing out of my forehead. God bless you. God bless you. Well, let's get into it. I know uh, this is going to be a little shorter one. And I did talk to our guest. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk to you about the educational issue. Um, so she's willing to come on, on, come on Sunday. So maybe we can do a, a, maybe you'll have two podcasts released this week. We'd like to do a short podcast kind of dedicated to what she's, she's got going on. Um, we're going to talk, I, you know, I actually, um, we're going to talk about something really important. And I, I know the whole world doesn't think it's important, but, uh, but we certainly do. I, I do have a little intro for this. So just sit back and enjoy the intro. Um, uh, Jewish space lasers. Yes. Uh, Jewish space lasers. Yes. Uh, Jewish space lasers. Yes. Uh, Jew- 
was that is that racist? I can never tell. Um, well, I, I know, the context was left out when I was talking about uh, the the QAnon conspiracy theory stuff that Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about. That makes it where, better, though. Where she was talking about her belief in the the Jewish space lasers because she's a crazy lady. <laughs> We're not going to be talking about Jewish space lasers this, but we are going to be talking about um, the current situation in Israel. Um I'm going to I'm going to lay out just the the synopsis, just the basic history. Um, and Russ, I'm sure, is going to fill us in on a lot of the details and his opinion on what's going on. Let me just uh, let you know, most of you out there, I would think everybody that's listening to this podcast understands that there's a conflict going on between Israel and um, Hamas. And I'll explain that just to a little bit to you what Hamas really is. But um, and, it, and it, it boils down to the fact that Hamas um, is rocketing Israel from the Gaza Strip. Gaza Strip is a is a just a small strip as it's as it Gaza Strip that basically is on the sea in Israel. And if you can picture Israel in your head, it's on the it's on the ocean there. Uh, you have Lebanon to the north, Syria to the basically the northeast. Uh, Jordan really occupies most of its eastern border with the Sinai Peninsula being due to its south. So it's and then, of course, Egypt is is basically to, I guess, the west south of the of the Sinai Peninsula, depending on how you look at the map. So the Gaza Strip. Little bit of strip, little strip that basically goes pretty close to the Sinai Peninsula, or is it? I might even border the Sinai Peninsula. I can't it remember. It does border it. Okay, I, okay, that's right. What also is important to realize is there's an area called the East Bank. Now, the East Bank is not on; it's not the bank of the ocean; it's the bank of the river. Um, why am I not remembering the name of the river off the top of my head? The Jordan. Jordan River, cheese. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I was thinking Tigris was stuck in my head from other history things. So it's on the west side of the Jordan River, which is basically the border with Lebanon. So it's called West Bank because it's on the west bank of the Jordan River, not the east bank of the Jordan River. A um, couple of important things. The, the Jordan did occupy... Um, basically, they ruled the West Bank from 1950 until 1967, 1967 being a very important year because that was the Israeli six day war where they basically occupied Gaza. They occupied the the West Bank and f- for all intents and purposes, they invaded Egypt through Sinai. So they even owned the Sinai Peninsula during that conflict. Um so that's how that's how the modern that's that's how that happened. Israel actually um, withdrew from the Gaza Strip. I'm trying to remember what year that was. 2005. Oh five. Yeah. 2005, either the end of 2005 or the beginning of 2006. I think it was 05. And during that time, basically the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and and just let me take a step back, folks. Palestine is not a country. It is not a people. It is a thought. Okay, that's what Palestine. Palestine is a basically an overarching thought. But a lot of countries that are sympathetic to the Palestinians have basically framed that as Palestine as a country. It is not. Never has been, never will be, unlike Israel, which is a very ancient country and a current country. Um, So uh, (laughs) Hamas rolled in and took the Gaza Strip and Hamas, even even the countries that are sympathetic to the Palestinian movement, we all know that Hamas is nothing more than a terrorist organization. They've been in charge of the Gaza Strip since 2007 when they took it over. Um, a lot of people 
of course, remember the name Yasser Arafat, who was the administrator of the Gaza Strip um, prior to that. Um, they overthrew the Fatah, which was the ruling party. Is that is that right, Russ? The Fatah was the um, ruling party of the Gaza Strip. Fatah was Fatah is the militant wing of the Palestinian Authority. Right. So them and Hamas are kind of in conflict over power. Right. Right. Thank you. Um, that's that's great. So. What's been going on right now is there was some stirred up emotions in East Jerusalem. Now, consider that Jerusalem being the historical bed of all of the religions in the Middle East and the traditional home of the Israelis and the Israeli, the, the center of their entire religion, they seized all of, all of uh, Jerusalem, excuse me, in 1967 during the Six Day War. No country has really legitimized the fact that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel until Donald Trump moved the embassy there and basically legitimized Israel's claim on Jerusalem. Here's, here's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen, and here's, here's where I'll end off and let Russ take over. Israel was not sent out of the Gaza Strip, and it did not withdraw from the East Bank. Um, the Gaza Strip was at first settled by both Israelis and the Palestinian slash Hamas people that were left over from the conflict. They did withdraw voluntarily um, in 2005. They withdrew all their settlements, all their troops, and basically said, here you go. You got the Gaza Strip. Um, Hamas took over three years later. The East Bank or excuse me, the West Bank, um, there's there's 167 Palestinian basically islands there. They call them islands for some reason, like city-states, and about 230 Israeli settlements. So they share the West Bank. Um, it's it's not 50-50, but there, there is a ton of Palestinians and Israelis that live basically together on the West Bank and in relative peace. Israel does have the administrative control of that. They never said, okay, we're giving it over completely. But it is it is a place where Palestinians and Israelis live in close quarters. Um, just one thing I wanna I wanna say here. So the the wonderful Hamas people have been rocketing the civilian population of Israel, just like the Nazis did to England with the V2 rocket back in the day. Um, same concept. Here's the thing, folks. There is uh, one of the reasons that I'm such a pro-Israel person is it's it's um, <laughs> and and you can probably speak to the genocide accusations, which is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life that Israelis, you know, committing genocide just based on what I've laid out. Obviously, that's not the case. They have voluntarily given people that they are blood enemies for millennia with pieces of the land that they won in a war. Um, the, the Palestinians have free elections. They can vote for whomever they want. There is no restriction on that or, or working or having jobs or lives. Israel is like another country you may have heard of, that it's one of the only countries on God's green earth where they conquer a people, take take things that were probably historically, there's, there's always argument there, that belong to them anyway, and then turn around and treat those people with the utmost respect and kindness. Oh, there's another country by the name of the United States of America. And one of the reasons there's been a long tradition since Israel became a state or a country, we have like core values. I, I believe the United States and Israel really have the same core values. We have a fundamental respect for life, and we have a fundamental respect for peace. And we both 
believe at the core value, I'm not talking every citizen, the core value is that we achieve that peace by having superior firepower and being a bigger, badder, badass than the people who want to come after us. So I'm going to turn it over to, to you, Russ, and let you kind of talk about some of these details. So I hope I laid that out for people that don't really understand what the current conflict is. Um, let me say this up front so everyone understands. There is no moral equivalence between Hamas and Israel. Israel is, are the good guys. Hamas are the bad guys. Let me just put that up front. Um, the cause of the current troubles is actually twofold. One is a, a mask or a, an excuse that uh, Fatah and the Palestinian Authority and Hamas are using to start things. And then I'll go into the second thing. First of all, the, the charade, the, the pretense. Um, there's a neighborhood in East Jerusalem called uh, Sheikh Jarrah. Back in 1870, uh, a, a group of, of Jewish families bought this land. Um, then after the Israeli War of Independence and the partitioning, Jordan moved into this area and Jordan expelled the Jews that were in that area and gave the land to several Palestinian families. Um, then when Israel retook the land in 1967, there began a protracted legal dispute over the status of these homes in Sheikh Jarrah. And it boils down to four homes, I think something like six families uh, in these homes in Sheikh Jarrah. Um, the Israeli Supreme Court, I mean, the, the, the original families of the landowners came back with their deeds to the Israeli uh, legal system and said, look, we own this land in Sheikh Jarrah, here's the deeds of the land. Um, the court system said, okay, you own the land, but you can't kick the Palestinian families out of that land uh, so long as they are paying rent, uh, which the Palestinian families the, at the four homes, the six families in question, never did for 50 years. Um, so finally, there was an, an Israeli Supreme Court decision um, saying, hey, you got to pay rent. Uh, they still do so. Folks who own the land lock down these four homes to build apartment buildings. Um, and so... Uh, the Palestinian Authority used this as a pretense to say that the Israelis are evicting Palestinian families from their ancestral homes and they're being mean and making them homeless. Of course, if I refused to pay my rent for, or my mortgage for 50 years, I'd be homeless too. But so that was the pretense that they used. Now, here's what really, what really is going on. There was scheduled to be an election in the Gaza Strip uh, th this year. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, is in the 16th year of his four-year term that when he took over in the Gaza Strip in 2005. Well, he canceled that election because it became very apparent Hamas was going to win the election and take over full authority legally in the Gaza Strip. So he canceled the election and he blamed the Israelis for canceling the election. And in order to distract from this and show that uh, – they were still the folks looking out for the Palestinian people. They started launching rockets at Israel and using the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood evictions as an excuse. Um, it has never been about those evictions. It's been about Abbas and Fatah not wanting Hamas to take over in the Gaza Strip. Of course, Hamas not wanting to be outdone and the way that you show you care more about Palestinian people for some reason if you're in the Gaza Strip is that you show how much you hate the Israelis more than the other guy. So Hamas took over and started firing rockets from the Gaza Strip into Israel. And let's lay a couple of facts out on the table about the rocket launches. First, about 25 to 30% of the Hamas rocket launches are landing, are falling short. 
Uh, their systems are malfunctioning. They're falling short and they're exploding in the Gaza Strip and Palestinian areas, killing Palestinian men, women, and children. Uh, a lot of their rockets are landing in uh, various areas where Arabs and Israelis live side by side. Uh, like, for example, the town of Lod, they, these rockets are, are indiscriminately targeting civilians. They are being supplied by the Iranian regime because uh, we have, for some reason, re-legitimized the Iranian regime and are starting to funnel, funnel money back to Iran. And uh, Joe Biden and his administration gave $235 million to the Palestinian Authority that Donald Trump had put on hold. And since money is fungible, that is, it's like an alcoholic saying, give me some money, I won't use it to buy booze. So what they'll do is they'll, now that they have extra money, they'll use that money to pay their rent and they'll use the extra money that they suddenly have left over to buy booze. Well, that's kind of what's happening with these rockets is, hey, we're not going to use that money to buy rockets to launch it at civilians. Instead, we'll use this other money over here that we no longer need to free up because you gave us $235 million. Well, one of the big differences that not a lot of people understand is when uh, Fatah and Hamas launch rockets uh, and try to kill civilians, that's by design. When the Israelis kill civilians, it is, number one, by accident, and is because Hamas has deliberately hidden behind civilians. Uh, Hamas and Fatah, uh, especially Hamas, put they put their rocket launching sites and their command and control nodes in civilian areas. And I don't just mean in, in certain neighborhoods, which they do. But they also put them in the same apartment buildings with Palestinian families. They locate their headquarters in hospitals sometimes. And this is so that when Israel strikes back, uh, the Palestinian leadership can trot out a bunch of dead bodies and say, oh, look, here's how mean the Israelis are. How dare they shoot back at us? First of all, let's also imagine how all of us would react if rockets were falling on Nashville or Kansas City or let's say the Canadians got you know, their panties in a bunch and started launching rockets at Seattle. You know, how, would, how would we respond to that? Well, we also need when we when people talk about the the you know overwrought Israeli response, which is bullshit. If someone's launching rockets at you, you'd go in there and want to kick their ass too. If Israel wanted to destroy the uh, Palestinian leadership and eliminate the threat completely, Israel has complete air supremacy. They could bomb the shit out of these out of the Palestinian areas in the Gaza Strip, and they haven't. What right. they do is they go in on the ground, they use precision strikes, they will use what are called knock bombs, which means they'll drop a bomb on a building just designed to shake it, it just hits the top, it does not actually explode, it's just designed to shake it, and that's the warning, hey, get out of here, we're about to blow this building up. So they're a lot more restrained than, than I would be. To be fair, they're a lot more restrained than the United States is. We had uh, two of our towers knocked down and a plane ran into the Pentagon, we were in Afghanistan for 20 years. Uh, we, we went to war in Iraq because we thought they might be a threat. So, you know, the Israelis, they use a lot of precision because they do have the utmost care for life. Now, unfortunately, innocent civilians will sometimes die, not only because uh, Hamas hides behind civilians because they are too big of pussies to actually show their face and try and fight man to man, but also because innocent civilians always die in war. The fact that we have to kill each other to solve our differences is a stain on the soul of humanity. Innocent people will always die in war. That is part of the shitty nature of war. But again, when the Israelis do it because they're targeting a command and control node that Hamas set up in some school somewhere, it is by it is by accident. It is not by design, which unlike Hamas, Hamas actually does. Uh, they do target 
women and children. They do target civilians. Hamas has said in the past that they would prefer that Israel, uh, all the Jews in the world go to Israel so that they have a central place to kill them. Right. That is uh, obviously absolutely despicable. Hamas is among the worst people on the planet. Uh, Hamas, the Israeli regime, I mean, I'm sorry, the, Isra- the Iranian regime. Uh, now, notice uh, when I was listening to, to Ben Shapiro earlier, he pointed out an interesting fact. While shit's going crazy down in the Gaza Strip uh, and Israel is taking care of what they need to, you notice that in the north and near Lebanon, Hezbollah is not doing anything. And that's because they know that Netanyahu, I mean, Hezbollah is a bigger threat than Hamas is. Uh, but Israel, knowing that, will absolutely take the gloves off and invade the territory and do whatever they had to to absolutely wipe out uh, Hezbollah. Now, the other thing you got to remember is that folks want to say, well, there's, you know, we need a left-leaning government in Israel to show restraint on this other stuff. They don't understand Israeli politics. The left-right divisions are mostly about domestic policy and some legal issues. But thanks to folks like Yasser Arafat, there there is no divide in the Israeli political body from any of the parties, whether it's right, center or left, about defending itself and taking out these terrorists. And a lot of that centers around what happened in the year 2000 when Bill Clinton brought, uh, I believe it was Ehud Barak and Yasser Arafat to Camp David to try to design a two state solution. And uh Barack, Ehud Barak, I think it was, I think it was him. I don't think, I don't remember if it was him or Ehud Olmer, but I think it was Ehud Barak, uh, offered Yasser Arafat 96% of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Here, you can have this territory, including East Jerusalem as your capital. You can have a, a state right. of your own. Right. Let's, you know, then we'll live in peace. And Yasser Arafat absolutely refused that. He's, he said no. He turned it into a, into a sham. And that's when, the, the divide in the Israeli public over what to do went away because they said these people don't want peace. They want to drive us into the sea. They want to try to uh, exterminate us. So th- there's no peace there. As Gelda Meir once said, there would be peace in the Israeli-Palestinian area. If the, if the Palestinians dropped their guns, there would be peace tomorrow. If the Israelis dropped their guns, there would be no more Israel. So right. there is no moral equivalence here. The Israelis are in the right. And then you get like President Biden saying, well, Israel needs to de- needs to de-escalate. Dude, fuck no. All right. The, the, the Palestinian Authority through Fatah and Hamas started this conflict. Don't start a fight you're not able to finish. Right. So at this point, Israel is going to go in there. They're going to wipe them out. They have the absolutely brilliant uh, military deception maneuver that just crushed part of Hamas recently. Um for those who don't know, deception is a big part of warfare. Uh, Israel, in all the past, in, in all the past conflicts, has invaded the Gaza Strip, and they put out a statement that they were about to take action in the Gaza Strip, and they were massing their military, and it went out over social media. And so, uh, what the Hamas fighters did was they started to occupy these underground tunnels they had going throughout the Gaza Strip. All right, we're going to go down here in these tunnels. We're going to wait the Israelis out. And we're going to pop out and fight them, you know, in the streets, house to house. Well, uh, Israel, having intelligence, knew exactly this is what was going to happen. So when they said they were going to take action in the Gaza Strip, they didn't actually say a ground invasion. They said they're going to take action, which everybody interpreted as a ground invasion. They got in their little tunnels, and then the Israeli Air Force went in and collapsed the tunnels. 
which was just an absolutely brilliant move. Yes, um, it was. Should make things a lot easier. Um, is there going to be violence? Yes. Unfortunately, that's the nature of warfare. But I think what it is for us is we get queasy because we, a lot of us read about war and violence on TV and think, oh, that's so bad. That's so horrible. Please stop fighting. Not realizing that or not understanding that I'm sure if this was rockets being launched at Detroit or Miami from Cuba, we would go in and take no prisoners and it would be very bloody. Anyway, that's my spiel. <laughs> that was one of my listeners gonging you. No, I'm kidding. Great. No, you did a great job. I, I just let you go on that. You did a great job. One of the things that I do want to highlight and you touched on it uh, very well, but um, when, we're, when you're talking about the restraint that the Israelis are showing and, and, you know, their tactics that they can use, keep in mind, folks, that the Israeli military uses the same technology that the American military does to a very large extent. Um, so if you know what the American military is uh, capable of, and I have been around the Israeli army in particular, and these are some scary mofos. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, these are these are badass people who everybody either has to serve in the military or do civil service. Um, because if you look at the country, and I encourage you all to go on uh, Google Maps, Google Earth, and look at how they're surrounded by people who want to wipe them off the face of the earth. Their defense in depth is only about 20 kilometers, where we have, you know, a few thousand miles in the United States if anybody tried to invade us. They have American technology. They have a country of around 9 million people, where we have a country of 330 million people. And so keep in mind, if if, if a nightclub gets bombed, which was very popular in the 80s and 90s, and they lose 130 Israelis, that's a percentage of their population when you only have 9 million people, right? And oh, by the way, that population also counts people of Christian and Muslim faith. That's not just Jew, Jewish of Jewish faith. It'd be the equivalent of them killing about 12,000 people in the United States. Right, which is far less than, not to minimize it, but far less than died in the Twin Towers. So I just want to put that out there. Um and just a just a little uh, word to our favorite anti-Semites. And, and, you know, Russ, this, it always strikes me is I actually have quite a few Jewish friends and uh, went to grad school with quite a few Jewish folks, got to know a couple of families in particular that were old school. I have no idea why they're Democrats. I have no idea why they keep voting for the left, because the left is the most anti-Semitic motherfuckers on planet Earth. Your AOCs, your Il- Ilhan Omars, and even the subtle, subtle anti-Semitism of of our president, you know, legitimizing Iran again and all this other other stuff. I have no idea. Just like the Armos, the Armenians, I have no idea why every one of them is a Democrat because their core values certainly are not aligned with that. So the anti-Semites in in our Congress and Senate, I really hope really bad things for these people. I really do. Yeah. Well, I think that some of the the Democratic voting is cultural. And what I mean by that is you got to remember, even though the values in the South were conservative for a while. You still had the Southern Democrat forever, but just because you know my granddaddy voted Democrat, sure. my daddy voted Democrat, so I'm a Democrat. And I think that's a lot of what's going on. Um, so that that's that's hard to overcome. It is shifting. There have been some shifting Democratic demographic voting patterns uh, over the years. I do want to augment what something you said about the IDF. When I look at the militaries of the world, obviously the United States is is number one, both in terms of tactics and technology. But the Israelis are are right close to there. There's really only three other armies on earth that I have a 
very enormous amount of respect for. Um, there's some smaller ones, you know, when I say smaller, there's some other, I, I have some respect for the German military. I have a, a slight amount, very slight amount of respect for the French military. Um, but the other three that, that actually are very good militaries and put up a tussle are the IDF, you know, the Israeli Defense Forces, the British and the Australians. Um, those are the, the other armies on earth that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a good army. Having been around foreign, other foreign militaries, I don't think people really understand the stark differences between our military and most others. Uh, most other military special forces just tend to be like our frontline infantry troops. Uh, I, oh, and uh, I, yeah, I was going to say, I do have some, I do have some respect having served with them. I almost forgot about the, the South Korean army. Um, although I don't put them on par with the Israelis. Um, but the South Korean army is also very badass. The, the, the challenge in the South Korean army is they don't, well to unexpected events um but the israelis do if you've ever studied what they did in the 73 war against syria uh they and how they how they turned back the egyptians in the sinai they have a very uh good ability to adapt to unforeseen circumstances and their commanders take individual initiative and that's that's what separates a a decent military from a great military is when the soldiers understand the intent and are able to fight within the intent. Yeah. Great, great point. I, um, as a military historian and I can prove I'm a professional one. Um, I, uh, one of the, one of the best books that I read about that conflict was the six day war by Guy Laron. Um, and I read that thing in about, Oh, I don't know, uh, a night and a half. Cause it was that compelling. And if you want to talk about, and this is, this is actually well prior to them. I mean, this is when America was engaged in Vietnam, um, well prior to them getting completely modernized. Um, just read those, um, some of those, when they were taking Jerusalem, for instance, and, and the, and the temp uh, the, um, the temple at Jerusalem and the way they did fire and maneuver and the way that it reads a lot like, uh, your, your easy company. And when they were going, uh, when they jumped into, when they jumped into France and how they did that fire and maneuver tactics through, you know, the bunker system and stuff like that. It reads a lot like that. It's very impressive how well trained these, and a lot of these people were reservists. Keep in mind, um, everybody's a reservist in Israel. Everybody takes their gun home instead of their rifle home, their automatic home. And a lot of them, (laughs) it was funny reading that book about Uzis and all that kind of thing, but these are, these are badasses. And a lot of them are not full-time. Most of them are not full-time. These are, these are part-time soldiers. So it was, it was an amazing book. I do recommend that book to military history folks. Yeah. And if you ever get the chance to study, for example, the, the 73 war, when you understand the difference in the mindsets between the armies, there was a point during the 73 war at the initial invasion when the Syrian army had broken through the Golan Heights and had literally nothing between them and Tel Aviv. They could have poured, I think two or three divisions right down the main road, split Israel in half and, and probably eviscerated the country. It would have, it would have triggered what is uh, can, canonically known as the Jericho option, right. which is Israel's nuclear deterrent. But uh, they, the Syrians had their chance in the 73 war to destroy Israel. They got to a certain point and the Syrian commander, uh, fearing that there might be an, uh, an anti-armor ambush he couldn't see, stopped his forces and waited for reinforcements. Well, the, the delay, I believe, was about 12 to 18 hours is what allowed the Israelis to reposition their defenses and stop them. Of course, that Syrian commander was executed by uh, uh, Hafez al-Assad, the Syrian dictator at the time, which is, you know, 
it, it shows that you, they don't have those armies do not have the initiative and the ability to react the way that the Israelis or the Americans or the British or the Australians do. Absolutely. Well, I think we beat that to death for our uh, for our podcast audience out there. But I, I, it's really important that folks have a perspective. I, I really believe that, and it's 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 nebulous. You have to kind of go back in history to really understand, you know, the founding of the Israeli nation and everything that's happened since to really understand the context of what's going on and the unbelievable naivety or even evil that our people in power show with their anti-Semitic views. Yeah, um, I can think of I can think of two in particular. Uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar are, in my opinion, open anti-Semites. Um, they they have nothing but hatred for Israel. They either I think they understand the conflict and they are they have simply chosen a side. If you ever read uh, what Rashida Tlaib talks about, um, she doesn't talk about restoring to the pre sixty seven uh, borders. She talks about uh, restoring to nineteen forty eight and uh, establishing a Palestinian state where Israel once stood. She calls the Israeli formation, a disaster. Um, there's a word for it. I can't remember the name of it, but that's what she calls it. Yep. Um, it is absolutely despicable. They, this is anti-Semitism of the worst order. And, you know, when folks want to know why does Israel respond so strongly? Well, gee, when, you know, a madman in Europe kills 6 million of your uh, fellows and is trying to exterminate you as a religion and as an ethnicity, that tends to implant a, a racial memory into your subconscious that does not go away. And with every action the Israelis do, you can hear the phrase never again. And I can't fault them for it. Right. And yet again, they tend to be some of the most restrained people on planet earth when it comes to, yep. Well, I think we're going to, we're going to change gears completely here. Um, We're going to do a little segment, a new segment that I've been wanting to do. And um, I should probably here. I'll do something to change gears here. There. How's that? All right, Rocky. The bell is bell is, is out there, and Mr. T is now bounding into the into the frame. <laughs> what do you predict? Ping. All right. So, yeah, this is something I think about a lot, and I will admit, I I I did semi plagiarize a couple of these from discussions I've heard of the great one Adam Carolla talking about. But you and I, Russ, talk a lot about uh, pop culture and history and how different TV was in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up in the 80s when you were growing up, how, how bad it sucked. But I, I just put together just a small list of things I thought would be a much bigger deal in my life and much more influential in my life because I grew up on 70s and 80s TV. I don't know if you have any to contribute. I, I do. Let's, uh, let me hear what your first one is, and then I'll give my rebuttal. I have a, I have a couple that I had thought of. Perfect. Yeah, I've got a list here. And I, I, I think a lot of our uh, potty folks out there can uh, potty folks, potty that's, folks awesome. that's good. Potty folks out there can uh, relate to some of these. So getting stuck in quicksand. I was absolutely sure that at some point in my adult life, I was going to be out adventuring or doing something. And I was going to get stuck in quicksand and either a rope with a donkey or some type of vine was going to have to save my life because everybody got stuck in fucking quicksand in the 70s and 80s on every show. Yep, that was one I remembered. Um, here's one. Based on what we did in elementary school in kindergarten and first grade, I really thought uh, catching on fire was going to be a much bigger deal. We practiced the stop, drop, and roll drills a lot my kindergarten year. And so I just took it for granted that at some point in my life I was going to catch on fire and this drill would save my life. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Very good. I, I did not think of that, but you're a hundred percent stop, drop and roll. You, it was like, like I was saying last week, you were also, you were excited about two things in, in grade school or junior high. When that big old uh, caddy came in with the big old crappy TV on it. Uh, and, uh, or in my, in my world, the, um, the uh, eight millimeter projector would come in with some type of film and, it, it never failed. It stopped, drop, and roll was a big part of that. It never failed like the first two minutes because the teacher couldn't figure it out, didn't have it synced up. It was like. That's all. You, it was awesome. And then the teacher would have to stop it and try. And you never finished the film because, yeah, it was great. Um, <laughs> I remember stop, drop, and roll for that. Um, here's another one for me. Amnesia. I was certain that at some point in my life, I was going to get amnesia <laughs> and I was going to show up at home and not remember my wife or kids. And they were going to have to slowly get me back to where I remembered who I was. Cause there was what I, everybody got fucking amnesia in the seventies and eighties on a show at least once. Mm. Um, for me, uh, this is being a child of the cold war as you were as well. Um, I, I kind of expected to run into more Russian spies in my neighborhood. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of movies about how there were Russian spies. There were even a couple where the kids would protect the Russian spies because they were good guys somehow. somehow. But uh, everything from the, I don't know if you remember the movie uh, Cloak and Dagger. Uh, oh, yeah. I had the, the kid in it that played Elliot in E.T. Um, and, you know, uh, Jack Flack, I think, was the, the, the dad's alter ego. So I, I I thought there would be Russian spies a lot more. That's that a good have one. To worry about them coming in with their silencers and and trying to shoot us as as we carried microfish, which I didn't even know what microfish was. I just know it was something spies carried. We carry microfish back and forth to drop points. That's a great one. Um, this kind of goes hand in hand with that because I remember Russians being a part of this, but I can't believe that I've never had an evil doppelganger who hasn't gone through my life and really messed it up. <laughs> Whether it was a twin brother that I didn't know about or just a plain evil doppelganger that was made to look like me by the Russians. I grew up on, you know, with, I was a mama's boy and she watched a lot of soap operas back in the 70s, especially in early 80s. And every, every single one of the romantic leads at one point had like an evil doppelganger that came in, moved in on the woman, had a slightly different haircut. Oh, yeah. And just screwed up the guy's life forever. So I have never met my evil doppelganger. Matter of fact, I have a feeling I'm somebody else's evil doppelganger that looks just like me. I, I remember Phoenix's evil doppelganger. It was actually a shame in my life when he died because one of my intro. What's that? Oh, you're you're getting a little stuck on your end. Uh, River Phoenix, because uh, when I was younger, I could use that as. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Some good yeah. podcast stuff. It is um, good podcast when stuff. When the uh, when River Phoenix died, I lost. Yeah, when I lost. God damn it. When Phoenix died, I lost an entry point with women a little bit like him. And so people would say, hey, you actually uh, opened up with women sometimes. And he died doing that for me. <laughs> All right. Here's my next one. I got I got I got a few more. I don't know how many more you have, but I'll get through these. Having to make dinner for my boss and his wife and impress them in order to get a promotion. I've never had to do that. <laughs> yeah. Do you? How about you? You got any more? Neither have I. You got? You got any more? You out of ammo? Okay. Um, I had one that I can't remember. Um, 
I, I may be out of ammo. Let me uh, let me give it some thought. I know I had one more. Oh, uh, here's one. Um, I, I kept expecting based on some of the movies I had seen and some of the, the tropes that were out there. I kind of thought that uh, Southern Baptist book burnings would be a bigger deal. Um, you know, everything from the movie <laughs> Footloose to the portrayed stuff. You had all these supposedly religious fundamentalists looking to keep you from dancing and make sure you couldn't read certain books. Uh, the irony, of course, is that in today, it's the left that is trying to keep you from reading certain books. Yep. But growing up, Our I really thought that was going to be a bigger deal because that was on all of the, uh, on all the, the channels was how these religious fundamentalists were going to, going to stop you from doing stuff. And they were going to be burning copies of whatever it was you liked. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. You're, you're on the money. Okay. Here's one that you kind of have to think about a little bit. I thought for sure when I got older and I, I was able to have a full-time girlfriend slash fiance slash wife that she would smell like lilacs and vinegar. Mm. Because don't you remember all the commercials about mom? What do you do when you oh. don't feel fresh? Yeah, now I remember. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mass and Gill owned daytime TV commercials, bro. So yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever been with a girl who smells like lilacs and vinegar. I just don't think I have. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. um one I remembered from uh my, my early childhood, I thought and I know that this happens, but when you look at the statistics, it's very, very rare. Um I kept expecting to be abducted by a stranger. Oh yeah. Um, because there was all the don't talk to strangers. And anytime that a child was kidnapped, it made national news forever. And so my parents were freaked out about it. And I just, I thought that I was going to have to figure out how to not be abducted by a stranger and, you know, put into the trunk of a car and driven away somewhere. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I think, uh, I think we're going to transition uh, to a quick little break here. Uh, listen to a couple commercials and that last little bit, bit kind of took the uh, wind out of my sails. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. Some good stuff. I, I Hopefully we'll come up with some more in the future. <laughs> we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hello, folks. This is Coop with the Two Grumpy Bastards podcast. Wanting to put in a good solid word for our friends over at HardcoreHusky.com. My friend Derek Johnson, a noted local Pacific Northwest author and sports writer, uh, writer of such books as Husky Football in the Don James era, The Dogs of War, and Bowed Down to Willingham, uh, not to mention my personal favorite, the, the Husky Hitman. Um, he's a fellow that knows a lot about Husky football, but not just Husky football. HardcoreHusky.com has something for everybody. There are forums for politics, recruiting, just shooting the breeze, or hardcore college football. Uh, maniacs will love it, too. Check out HardcoreHusky.com. Um, I'm one of the old guard on that site, and Derek Johnson is a great friend of mine. So please check out that webpage if you want just some banter. I will warn you ahead of time. There's a lot of very smart people, and it's every bit as R-rated as this podcast. Um, but check it out. And also check out, check out Derek Johnson's uh, selection of books, either on Amazon.com or his personal page at Derek Johnson Books. All right. Thanks. Now back to the podcast. Hello, fellow bastardos. Are you in need of some actual professional photography? Not the kind you capture on that crappy iPhone or Android. Not the kind that everybody does with the beautiful landscape out in the background with somebody with stretch pants in the foreground trying to get attention. Well, if you need anything 
considering that the whole world thinks they're a photographer but would like to rely on somebody with old school skills, please go to stormkingphotos.com. Storm King is a multifaceted photographer who does retail photography, family photography such as senior photos, weddings, holidays, and does a huge, huge amount of landscape photography that is available on his webpage, stormkingphotos.com. You are welcome to ask for individualized or creative type of photography that suits your needs. So please go to stormkingphotos.com and check out the webpage. And if you have any questions, the email address is right there in the contact page. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to the Two Grumpy Bastards podcast. Uh, I played that because uh, I was I was I got told by a few folks that are listening to us out there that uh, some of those songs we were playing were kind of depressing. So, two uh, non-depressing songs today in a row. How do you like that? Well, Russ, we're gonna get into the uh, the uh, pop culture segment here and shitty TV shows that I can't believe or. Um, Uh, As I like to call this segment, I can't believe I had to watch this shit. So I'm going to, uh, as soon as I un-F myself, I'm going to share a video with you. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. No, really, I'm going to share a video with you, I promise. No, really, I am. Here we go. Are you still there after that? (laughs) Are you okay? I am still here. Okay. (laughs) Yes, they had a TV show about a guy who could turn into any animal ever. Did you watch that one, by the way? I didn't get a chance to watch that, but it reminded me of one that I'll bring up in a second. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. We'll or, go ahead and get her done then, then we'll do our last segment. Um, did you ever watch did you ever watch Auto Man? Yes. Yes, I did. The the guy that was like a hologram reconstruction of a dude, but he was actually real and he became sentient. Yeah, and he drove in that car that whenever he he would go super fast, he would make 90 degree turns. And the guy who brought him back to life every time he was in that car would end up against face against the window because of the 90 degree turns. I couldn't wait for that show to come out. I used to love it. Of course, I used to also be 10 years old. 
Yeah, I watched the hell out of that too. It was kind of a, I, kind of a knock knockoff of Tron a little bit. I felt like very much so. Yeah, it's like it was as if the Tron folks had been put in our world as opposed to the other way around. Right, and everywhere he went because he was like this amalgam of every great looking actor ever, like Lee Majors and Robert Redford and all that kind of thing. Like every woman would fall in love with him, but he would never do anything back because he didn't have any physical reality, supposedly, or something. Yeah, and he he did look if you if you saw him in his Auto Man form when he wasn't wearing a suit. He, he did look like somebody had a Tron. He had the, the blue sparkly electrical right. thing going on. God, I remember that. It was terrible. It was, but I loved it as a 10-year-old. Who didn't? Who didn't? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was terrible. God, we no wonder we're all fucked up, Russ. Jesus. Uh, Manimal, I remember seeing some clips out of, but I never actually was able to get into that show. Yeah, it was it was actually there was some suggestions of bestiality there because like he would turn into a horse and she would ride in the ma- the female yep. lead. He was a snake and he was wrapped around her a few times. It was definitely those writers were having a little fun with us that we didn't know about using some yeah. archetypes and some yeah, yeah. I'm sure they were laughing about that a few times. Um all right, Russ, we're just going to we're going to wrap up here. I'm going to get we did get some reader mail this this week, which I was really awesome. happy to see. And I'm going to go ahead and read. I think um um, well, we got it. We got it. We got mail from a guy named Darren Lovano. If you remember him, I he, don't. Was a, he was a kid. He was a Sac State kid. He was a really good kid. He just wanted to, he just wanted to say hi. And, uh, he mentioned that, um, he really appreciated one of our episodes because he is a Denver police officer. And when we talked awesome. about Antifa BLM and when I gave the statistics on police shootings, he, uh, he said he really appreciated that from his perspective. So that was good to hear from him. Um, maybe we can have him on one of these days and he can talk about what life is like as a police officer these days. That'd be interesting. That would be great. I'd probably recognize him more by sight than by name. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw a lot of, saw a lot of kids go in and out of those programs. So, Hey, uh, if you're listening, Darren, God bless you. Keep up the good work, my friend. Amen. You betcha. Um, okay. So I'm going to keep, you know, I may, I may mention a couple of names, but, um, um, here we go. There's a, one of our longtime listener and fans named Kelly. That's uh, female Kelly, uh, IE, not Y said, uh, Hey bastards. I'm a listener who's really taking a liking to your content. Thank you for speaking on behalf of many of us who are frustrated and angry with today's world of affairs. <clears throat> Living in the Pacific Northwest comes with so much turmoil. Regardless of the beautiful landscape, I really appreciate your perspective. Also, my ad, I love your voice, Coop. It's soothing and so nice to hear. I dig you more than Russ. No offense, Russ. Keep it up. Thanks. Your biggest fan. If she met me, she would dig me more. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next one. This is from a, uh, a great person over uh, – um, she's a member. I think you guys have interacted on Facebook named Quana. Um, she's from Sacramento. And she writes, hey, guys, first time long fan, but I felt like I had to give my two cents. Russ talks way too much. Oh, felt good to get that off my chest. It needed to be said. On the other hand, Coop, please stay sexy and cool. I could listen to you still tell stories all day long. Love the show, guys. Stay grumpy. She wrote that, man. I had- okay. Well, Quana, I talk more because I'm the, I'm the more intelligent of the two. I have more to say. I'm deeper. Um, plus, uh, you know, you sound deeper. cool, except... You sound cool, except the problem is that during the uh, on our Facebook page during the pineapple on pizza segment, you you seem to imply that you liked pineapple on pizza, which kind of uh, is a disqualifier for me. That would be a deal breaker in any relationship. So uh, I, I don't get you leaders. Uh, pineapple on pizza ranks right up there. 
put peas and mayonnaise on. Yeah, I, I you know, Russ, you and I have never had an argument about that. I think it's I think it's evil. I do. Tell, tell Quana she'll suddenly she'll find you unsexy. It's like I don't spread Hershey's chocolate on pickles either. You know what I'm saying? It's just like bull. Yeah, I like I like bacon, but I don't need it mixed into yogurt. I hear you, brother. All right, one more, one more, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here. So this is from one of our our uh, also a longtime listener named Tanya from Seattle. That's spelled T A W N Y A. Kind of an interesting, kind of like Tani. Uh, a Tani. Uh, I like it. Um, long time listener, first time emailer. I usually don't write into programs because let's be honest, if you're broadcasting your stream of consciousness, bromance filled, mutually masturbatory, navel gazing Zoom playdates all over the potosphere, number one, you probably don't care what this lady has to say. And number two, hey, that wasn't lit in there last week, boys. <laughs> but I just couldn't keep this to myself any longer. What the actual fuck? You guys, I turned in, tuned in because I was promised some funny, incisive commentary from a couple of seasoned, thoughtful veterans. What I got was a lot of strange musings on the goddamn Carolina Panthers from a dude that I'm pretty sure I could have eaten for breakfast in high school and maybe college. I mean, what have we learned so far? <laughs> Russ there with all his digitized hiccups and echoes and weird tangents was a tiny slip of a thing who mouthed off a lot, fears being out of control, and, well, is still tiny as far as I can tell. Give himself a lot of credit for reading up about the science while he hides from little girls' birthday parties. Keep Coop is over there keeping it real with his magnetic Viking self, showing and owning both his dark side and his charming love of animals. Listening to Coop makes me ovulate. Seriously, please have my babies. <laughs> Coop, why you chose to tie this anchor to your ass is beyond me. You can do better. You are better. For fuck's sake, a concerned listener. <laughs> Tanya, I love you. Yeah, like oh I said, I feel like I'm on a, on a Jimmy Kimmel meme tweets uh, segment. Uh, Can I just say? Fine. However, let me let me say real quick, aside from the, sure. Sure. the skips and hiccups that I have, which I'm sure are my ancient computer related. I will get one of a new computer this summer, I promise, and then hopefully I won't skip quite as much. Plus, I live out in the boonies. We don't have the, the fiber optic cable out here. But uh, to all the to all the, the loyal, uh, I don't know if I can call them fans, but but people Russ knows uh, back in the Southeast, get off your lazy ass and start emailing in so that I'm not outnumbered like this. All right, and I just want to say, those of you folks that, that emailed in, I really appreciate it. And keep them coming, everybody. Keep them coming. Come on. We know you're out there. Our numbers are going up. We know you're out there. Judging by a couple of those emails, you're keeping a couple of folks coming. <laughs> uh, well, I think that wraps it up for me. Uh, anything, any last parting shots, my friend? Um, no, nothing I can think of right now. It's, it, as you go back to your regular lives, try not to catch on fire, fall in quick stand, and the, the world will be fine. That's right. You know, um, keep it real and uh, uh, keep your focus and stay wokeless. We're out here. Um, uh, Jewish space lasers. Yes. Uh, Jewish space lasers. Yes. Uh, Jewish space lasers. Yes. Uh, Jewish. Those crazy nights I do remember in my youth. I do recall those were the best times. Most